Welcome to the Styano Plastic Surgery Podcast with plastic surgeon JJ Styano, the only plastic surgeon in the UK who owns a clinic specializing in breast and body contouring. Some interesting questions here today so i'm going to kick off with this one if that's okay um this one says how i got option to have local anesthetic instead of general anesthesia missing word off there um yes well i mean it will depend assuming the operation could be done under local anesthetic so that's i guess um I guess that uh, that's the first thing to say. So if the operation cannot be done under um, local anaesthetic, then you will have to have a general anaesthetic. So that would be a given. But if the operation can potentially be done under a local anaesthetic, then you could have the option to have it under general anaesthetic so um it would it could potentially sort of go both ways i mean we would normally advise you to have the least sort of anaesthetic possible so if it can be done under local anaesthetic you know you know we would normally advise you to have a local anaesthetic because everything else being equal a local anaesthetic is better in many ways than a general anaesthetic and it would only be someone who would really you know really maybe didn't want to have local anaesthetic um, that would um, have a general anaesthetic. It's always an option to have things done under general anaesthetic. And occasionally we see people who are really, really worried about having something done under a local anaesthetic, um, like a mole or something. I had one not that long ago. And she was really, really nervous about it and wanted it to have an under general anaesthetic. And that's fine. I mean, we have the, you know, got the option for that because we do a lot of things under general anaesthetic. But I would say, you know, it's better on many levels. It, it's just it's just quite a palaver having it under general anaesthetic. Not only that, you have to be admitted into the hospital. It becomes a big deal. Um, you can often go home same day if it's a short anaesthetic, but it just adds cost to it because of all those implications. So, um, so you have always got the option to have a general actually this question now we read the question it's going the other way isn't it have i got the option to have local anesthetic instead of general anesthetic so if it can be done local yes i mean if it's a general anesthetic case then you can't just have it done at local maybe this is talking about local with sedation twilight sort of anesthetic which is a little bit different to local anesthetic so local anesthetic is like when you're at the dentist you're completely awake um injection in the area that needs to be anesthetized and you are you know com completely compass mentis and awake you walk in you walk out um local anesthetic and sedation is a little bit different so local anesthetic and sedation bridges the gap between local anesthetic and general anesthetic and you can do a lot more with local anesthetic and sedation than you can with um low, pure local anesthetic so uh, this might be where that that question is going so um uh, so there are cases which are sort of 
um, standard, if you like, or the set way of doing it is with local uh, with general anaesthetic. But you could, if you were worried or didn't want a general anaesthetic for whatever reason, you could um, consider local with sedation. The classic example being, well, most breast surgery really, but I was going to say breast augmentation, but you can do pretty much most breast surgery under local with sedation. Um, you can do body contouring, you can do tummy tucks, you can do gynecomastia. Um, you know, you can do things, but but it uh, and certainly patients can opt for that for, for sure. But um, but you know we'd have a discussion about pros and cons of both because the fact of the matter is anytime both times both ways are being done doesn't mean one's better than the other, and there are pros and cons of each of them. And it would be getting what would suit you. So yeah, we we definitely have a conversation about what would be best for you and what would suit you, um, and if it is possible to do it under either local insulation or general anaesthetic, we can have a discussion around that. Although often certain operations have a sort of standard way of doing it, like moles, standard way of doing it is for, is for, um, oh God, these things have fluttered up now. Um, standard ways for doing it is for um, local anaesthetic. Tummy tuck, standard way of doing it is general anaesthetic, but there are situations where, you can um, you can have a discussion. Um, uh, Elaine, something I want to talk to you tomorrow about. Hoping this is something that might be available for me. Yes, Elaine, it's available to all. Elaine, um, it depends on the op. For me, so so yeah. If it's a breasty thing, uh, local station is an option. Although I would say there's one hospital that I work at. Um, in uh, in Solihull, the parkway, they don't allow us to do local insulation for whatever reason. Never quite got to the bottom of why not, but um, they don't allow local insulation. You have if you want local insulation, you can't have it there. But the other hospitals can do local insulation if that's what you uh, would like. But definitely, uh, Corinne, what is the difference between twilight station and general aesthetic? That's a big question, Corinne, and. Um, the more I've looked into it, really, it's the lockdown. It's the um, it's the coronavirus and all that, which has really pushed forward the twilight because there was a time when the hostels weren't allowing us to do any work there, and we there were some places where we could only do local insulation. It's twilight. Um, now we're back now, back into the hospitals, and you talk to the anaesthetists and say, look, should we do some local insulation with twilight? Now, talking to the anaesthetists, there are there are anaesthetists who would say there's not a huge amount of difference. Uh, between local insulation with twilight and twilight, sorry, local insulation in general, certainly for the things that we're talking about here, which is breast implants, um, uh, breast reductions, and some of the bigger operations. So, you know, sedation can, can, can be a range, basically, for sedation, from something that'll make you a little bit drowsy, just to sort of relax you, which would also be in the re remit of local insulation. But um, some of the things that I do under local and sedation, um, the sedation is quite deep close to general anesthetic sedation really um so from a from a pure anesthetic point of view there's not a the anesthetist would say there's not a huge difference between um a ga and a, and a local sedation for some of these procedures um from a from a practical point of view i do find that you patients do tend to recover quicker with the local insulation so um for a suitable patient it is a good thing and i do do think it has worked really well for the, for the times that i've done it and i've been really happy with it um the patient has to be on board because there can be a bit of wriggles and a bit of 
movement and things, it can be a bit of a challenge if you've got someone who you're doing um, uh, in asymmetry, uh, because if you're injecting a lot of local anaesthetic, it can make the size difference, can be difficult, a bit more difficult to see. So there are, there are some surgical challenges with uh, local insulation, but, um, and so basically, Corinne, I, I wouldn't like to say one's better than the other. Um, as I say, there are some ops which I'd be more in favour for local moles. Some ops I'd be more in favour for general tummy tucks. And then there's other, some in between breast implants, particularly on top of the muscle and stuff. You know, using same size implants, very happy to do that under low anesthetic insulation, and it's worked really well the times I've done it. But at the same time, general's still fine. You still go on the same day, and it's, you know. So... Practically speaking, from your point of view as a patient, the most common thing people say after a local anesthetic sensation case, when you say, how did it go, is how did what go, what, you know, what was that sort of thing. So you are you are fairly sedated. You're not really um, compass mentis during the procedure. You're usually pretty, pretty sedated. So from your point of view, not a huge amount of difference. As I say, you might feel a bit of big jiggery pokery and might feel a bit of pushing and pulling with the local insulation, but then you might not remember it. Um, often people don't remember what went on there. So, um, oh, I'll just stick with general. Have I not, have I not, not that I'm trying to sell it, but yeah, I mean, yeah, I, yeah, I mean, I think, yeah. Um, right, what we've got here is another question. The question goes a little bit like this. I wish to have this surgery, but of course I worry about complications. I've got to be honest, these are real, well, I say they're real questions. They're real questions they've given. I'm assuming someone's actually asked you. So there's a couple of the, there's a couple of weird ones today. I don't know if it's the same person asking all the questions, but anyway, um, that that's that's the question as I receive it. Um, I wish to have this surgery, but of course I worry about. I don't even know what surgery it is they're talking about. Um, yeah, I mean I worry about the complications too. Um, yep, you're right to worry about the complications. I think uh, any surgery will have complications and. Um, my job is to tell you what's possible um, and your job is to weigh up the pros and cons to see whether it would be um, a good thing to do. So, um, um, you know, it's, it, it's, a, it's I, don't know, I don't know how to, um, how, how to answer that. It's not really a question, is it? It's more of a statement. Um, I, I think probably the more junior and maybe there was a time when I might be guilty of a little bit of like, you know, when I show someone a photograph, um, patient might say, well, that scar's quite red. Oh God, good, they're asymmetrical. One's a bit bigger than the other or something like that. And, and I think there was a time when I would have said, yeah, but the scar's quite red for its early days. Oh yeah, they're a bit asymmetrical, one's a bit swollen. Um, but now I just say, yeah, yeah, the scar's red. The scar is always a bit red. Hopefully it'll fade. Can't guarantee it. You know there may be asymmetries. There may be problems. So there, you can get infection. You can get swelling. You can get hematoma. You can get bruising. Um, so you know there are potential for problems and there are potential for complications with any surgery. Anybody who doesn't get complications is not doing enough surgery. Basically, any any surgeon. You know, best surgeon in the world is going to get complications, and um, it just it's just part of the job. So. Um, uh, and, you know, we have to just share the risks associated with the implants, what the consequences of those risks are, what the chances of those risks are, and then leave it up to you to balance that up with the benefits you're going to get from the surgery. Because a lot of the surgery that we're doing is very subjective. You know, you don't have to have it done, um, but 
you may not be happy with something that you you know could be improved with surgery so we is about, having said all of that it's very rare to get complications in cosmetic surgery it's got a very low complication rate fortunately um so i don't want to make you think there's complications going on all over the place but you know very low doesn't mean zero so it does happen so you have to know about the problems and you have to weigh up the pros versus the cons um sarah yates is in with a question is it possible to rectify a non 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 um, is that is that going to spell is that spell checked something was that spell checked outy would outy spell check to none none would you mean you got none belly button anyway i'm going to answer the question either way you know what sarah the answer is yes now what's the question simple as that is it possible to make a belly button out of nothing yes is it possible to make an outy and any yes um oh here we go tt gone wrong tt being tummy tuck viewers for those who aren't familiar with the abbreviations now i have no bb now so no b no belly button okay so none none but yeah yeah umbilicoplasty look at that we've even got a word for it sarah um you can do an umbilicoplasty you can recreate a belly button bow show yes you can it's a little bit like um making a nipple but in reverse um obviously a nipple's a bit that sticks out a belly button's a bit that goes in and the problem with making things like that stick out or go in is that scarring wants to find the path of least resistance between two points so in terms of the nipple it wants to be flat in terms of a belly button well in terms of both of them it wants to be flat the, the closest the, the shortest distance is going to be flat so we're trying to sort of re recreate a, 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 a crater if you like what, what a belly button is so you know the risk is flattening off up to, to be fair so the, the risk is that it it, it, can, it can flatten off but that doesn't mean it can't be done it can it can definitely be done you can definitely make a belly button from from nothing so if you have had a belly button um that's that's died or that, that's whatever reason your belly button's not not there um you, a new belly button can be made um it's amazing sarah what they can do these days and you know I, I wrote a paper on how you make the belly button when you do a tummy tuck and when i'm writing the paper you have to research all the all the research that's done in that area and there's quite a lot of papers on techniques for umbilicoplasty how you make a new belly button it's a, it's one of those sort of little there's lots of little things in plastic surgery little nuances that plastic surgeons get very excited about and start planning all these funny flaps and ways and designs of how they make this and how you can recreate tissue and it is actually more difficult than you think I, I don't know if you think it would be easy but it's not easy um it is more difficult than you think to recreate that uh, that that hollow and get the shape right but nevertheless it's a it's a possibility sarah not a common op i would uh, say to you but um certainly not uh um not unheard of Sorry to hear you've had problems with your, with your um, tummy tuck. The other thing I say to you, Sarah, is people have had problems. I see people have had sort of problems and, you know, lots of issues and things like that. And I'm like, if you've had a lot of problems, the other thing I would think about, just at least um, entertain the thought of, is, is it time to sort of say, look, you know what, I haven't got a belly button, but, you know, I can live with it sort of thing. Because... Um, there's complications with any surgery you've obviously had complications by the fact that you haven't got a belly button so if you have another surgery which is not a straightforward surgery that might 
you know, might not work properly. Do you want to go down that road and, you know, keep on having potential for, for, um, for complications? Just going to throw that out there. Again, weigh up the pros and cons. Totally up to you, Sarah. But uh, in answer to your question, yes, you can make a belly run. Um, can you please recommend the name of the best surgeon in your clinic? I believe they are all so good. So, um, you know, thank you. You're welcome, Sarah. Um, I mean, again, this is the question as I see it. Um, I don't know if they've made it up in the clinic or someone's actually asked that question. Um, so, yeah, I mean, do you know what? I keep on saying this, don't I, about the best thing, best implant, best surgeon, best, 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 best. What I would say to you when choosing a surgeon is um, even a surgeon within my clinic, because there's, you know, we, we've got a few, there's a few of us there that now were there. Um, just look for someone who you resonate, you, you resonate with, who you feel, seem to get on with. Uh, we've got Azan Faroa who does mainly skin. So we've got, we've got some people who sort of niche into certain things. Azan Faroa does mainly skin. Um, Kuro, Kuram is a, a cleft surgeon, so he does a lot of facial stuff. He does the ears. Um, but he also does the breast and body like myself and me. I just really do the breast and, and body. Um, you know, we're all fully trained plastic surgeons. That's one thing that I do make a, a point about. We're all fully trained um, plastic surgeons. So we're, you know, we're at the highest level of training of plastic surgery you can get to. There's no, there's nowhere higher. We're all consultants. We all are or have been consultants in the NHS, which is the benchmark. Uh, I'm no longer a consultant in the NHS. I left a few years ago, but both of the Kurum and Azam are both currently um, NHS consultants. So um, we're all, you know, at, the, at the, that same level of independent practice, if you like. And uh, yeah, if you want a skin lesion or, or a skin problem, um, Azam's your man, particularly if it's skin cancer. Having said that, we can all treat skin, um, but that, that's Azam's specialty. Um, the but i do think it is important to find someone who you resonate with who someone you get on with someone who you think will look after you um and you know it, you, you, because you can't guarantee you're not going to get a problem you can research until you're blue in the face and have surgery with the best surgeon in the world and get a complication or you can just rush into it and have some random um you know random surgeon who's maybe not qualified and got loads of complaints against him and have no complications so you know you're obviously improving your chances by finding a good surgeon. Don't get me wrong. You are improving your chances, but you're not making it zero. You know, you're not, you're not sort of, um, um, you're not completely eradicating the, the risk. So you just have to get as much as you can uh, and, and balance it as much as you can in terms of who you think will look after you. And what I always say to patients is that I can't guarantee you won't get a problem. But what I can guarantee that is if you get a problem, we'll look after you and we'll, we'll make it as good as we possibly can. Um, that, that's what I can guarantee. I cannot guarantee you won't get a hematoma or an infection or a wound breakdown or a bad scar or, or you know, whatever complication you might get an asymmetry. So I can't guarantee those things won't, ha won't happen. And I can't say that those things haven't happened to me because they have happened to me in my life. I have had complications, I'm sorry to say. But uh, if I get a complication, I will work through it with the patient to make sure I do everything I can to give you the best result possible. So that's the sort of ethos and that's the ethos of the clinic, really. So that that goes with all of us. So. Um, so, yeah, we haven't got a best surgeon um, uh, and there isn't a best surgeon. 
just like there isn't a best implant, just like there isn't a best suture, just like there isn't a best technique for breast reduction, just like there isn't a best, you name it, car. Um, Rolls Royce is pretty good, isn't it? <laughs> anyway, no, you know what I mean. You get my point. You get my point. Deborah Charlotte 007. Premier tonight, Deborah Charlotte. Do you do fat transfer for breast orgs, please? Yes, I do, Deborah Charlotte 007. Um, I do, Deborah Charlotte 007, but I don't push it, do I? I don't even know. Is there, I think there is something on the website. There is. There's a blog. I did a blog about it. But we're not, it's not huge on the website. And you might say, why is it not huge on the website? Because breast fat transfer for breast augmentation sounds like a cracking idea. Um, because you don't have to have any of the worries of implants. Because goodness knows implants can cause problems. And don't get me wrong. I'll be the first to tell you the problems that implants can get. I do a lot of implants, but I always warn everybody about the problems you can get in with implants. Well, short-term infection is the main one. You have to remove it. But long-term, they can go hard. They can rupture. They can get a cancer associated with them. You know, they, you can get Ill, people describe illness associated with breast implants. There's all sorts of things with implants. So if there was a good way of doing something with your own natural body tissue, I'd be first in line. But I'm not first in line, Deborah Charlotte, because... The problem with fat grafting is it's really subtle. And that's the thing that I try and make a point to, about to everyone who inquires about fat grafting for breast augmentation. In my hands, it's really good for one side, for a bit of a subtle volume enhancement, for a bit of an asymmetry, particularly coronary irregularity, as long as it's not too that badly scarred. So there are there are reasons why um, fat graft transfer works really well. But straightforward breast augmentation, it is really subtle. The volumes are small. Um, so if you're looking at fan transfer, you're looking in my, again, in my hands, because you're doing both, presumably, um, usually for breast augmentation, you're with 50 to 100 mils. You know, more than that, you know, if you're going 100 to 150, that's a big one. So pro probably around 100 mils each breast would be, would be a lot for a fat transfer breast augmentation. Breast implants, you can get a 200, 300, 400 cc implant off the shelf, boom, it's in, done. That's 400 cc there, done. Um, so fat transfer is often quite subtle and you often need to repeat it for that reason because it's quite subtle and you might need to. So therefore it can be quite expensive because you, you know, um, by definition, often people are very slim, so you have limiting the donor sites. Um, I say by definition because people wanting breast implants are often quite slim. Um, so it is not as popular as you would think it is. Um, people are using it now with implants, this sort of hybrid augmentation where they put some fat over the top of it to cover it, a bit rippling and things, particularly if they're on top of the muscle. Um, so it may be an adjunct with implants, but it does make it quite expensive because fat transfer is quite a um, quite a, a labour-intensive procedure and therefore it's quite an expensive procedure because it takes quite a long time in surgery, in, uh, in theatre, yeah. Um, what implants do you use now? I had two breast already, yeah. I mean, I don't particularly sort of, well, well I do, I, do I, I normally use Polytech. Polytech is my sort of normal one for several reasons. But having said that, I use others. I use Nagel, um, I use Mentor. I use, if you've got a strong view about an implant, if you've heard of one or you want a certain one, then you can have a certain one as long as the hospital can get them. Polytech are good because they cover the whole range. They're the only company that make an implant um, uh, with every type of coating, um, except smooth, use navel smooth, but anyway, um, and they have got a good warranty. So, and I'm familiar with the, with the, with the uh, range. So Polytech is the one I use. 
Um, but if you've had two breast stalls already, yeah, maybe maybe you're thinking may, maybe a bit of fat transfer you might be happy with, but you have to be comfortable with the subtle result. Okay, thanks. Is the fat taken from the inner thighs? Not usually inner thighs, Deborah, because the skin's quite thin on the inner thighs. So I tend not to say this about the skin, the inner thighs. Outer thighs, yes. Outer thighs, really nice. Donor site, abdomen, don't, nice donor site. So abdomen and donor, abdomen and outer thighs are, are probably the go-to ones. Um, Kim, Kimberly's got infe infections. Sorry, wait a minute. Infections like I had. Yes, Kimberly, you had an infection, didn't you, before? Um, and you had to have, I think, you had to have your implant removed, didn't you? So that was back before, before I think you're all right now, but but last time with the other, um, you did have infections, yes. So you you know only too well, Kimberly, infection is the thing that we worry about. I've got to be honest, as, as plastic surgeons using implants, it is a real, real issue and a real thing that we do worry about. Um, <clears throat> does the fat stay in the area? Yes, it does, Sarah. It, will, it, uh, it does stay in the area and it takes like a graft, just like a skin graft takes. So it's a, it's a permanent, solution and it will grow and, and it'll go bigger and smaller with as you put on and lose weight so it's a really lovely technique fat grafting an absolutely lovely technique but it's about getting patients um uh on on board with the with the sort of result that can be achieved because it's not the same as using an implant an implant is much more predictable much more volume can be get can be added with an implant I would be looking for a reorg with fat transfer in about a year i'd say the smooth ones i've heard are better than the rough texture Thanks for your advice. Well, again, Deborah, yeah, smooth ones are better than the rough texture. Maybe so. There's definitely benefits of the smooth ones, Deborah, but there are also benefits of the rough ones. So if the smooth ones were better, we'd all use smooth ones, and we don't all use the smooth ones. Uh, and if the rough ones were better, we would all use the rough ones, and we don't all use the rough ones. Some people use a lot of smooth. Some people use a lot of rough. Some people use a bit of in-between. So unfortunately... There's no right or wrong, but yes, if you feel that like the smooth ones are better, then that's fine, because um, there are definite, definitely certain benefits with the smooth ones. Um, so yeah, that takes takes over. Rob, thank you, Deborah Charlotte 007. Hope that's been helpful. Good luck with that in a year's time. Very good luck, um, and I hope that goes well. Um, here we go. I got on to the implants. Is this implant our like what the what is the grammar here, guys? Is this implant our lifetime warranty? Honestly, goodness me. Right, I'll translate. Um, do the implants have a lifetime warranty? I think that's sort of, I think that's broadly what we what we can say that saying. So yes, you've got to be a bit careful with the warranties because the warranties can vary as to what they cover. So all, well, I'll say all. I just said we can use any implant, but basically, um, any implant, most of the implants we use at the clinic have got a lifetime warranty. And that sounds good, doesn't it? A lifetime warranty. You might say, oh, that's fine. I'm sorted. I've got a lifetime warranty. I'm, I'm happy. Um, but you've got to be a bit careful in terms of interpreting what the lifetime warranty covers. Uh, so there are different sort of levels of warranty. Um, I do like Polytex. I do think they have got a good warranty. So in terms of the lifetime warranty, what they are pretty well all covered for is lifetime warranty for rupture. So if the implant fails, if the implant ruptures for whatever reason, then you are covered in terms of the fact that they will give you another implant. So the implant's covered, so that they'll give you another implant, but that's great, isn't it? Thanks very much for giving me the implant. How do I get it in there? So, you know, the implant's only a, a one part of the whole surgical costs. So um, 
you, you'd have to pay the hospital fees so that you still have to pay quite a lot if you're just getting a new implant. The other thing is um, they're not all, they don't all cover um, capsular contracture, which is probably, well, which is more common than, than rupture. So they don't all cover capsular contracture, but some of them cover uh, some money towards the hospital costs. And the one that Polytech do, it covers you for two years um, and they give you money towards hospital costs for any problems, as well as a lifetime warranty for rupture. But uh, they have a two-year warranty where they cover you for other problems like seroma infection, whatever, you know, any, any problems. But after, uh, and most are covered for between six and 12 months for the hospital. So most surgeries cover between six and 12 months in terms of revisions, if things don't look right, or if you've got a dog ear, or if one's too high or they're both too high or they're one's too low or they're both too low or whatever um so you get covered for those sorts of problems with the hospital for six to twelve months say the polytech ones cover you for two years but after that period if you have any problems you will have to pay for the surgery you might get a set of implants if the, if it's ruptured and it's under the warranty you have to send the implant back and have to analyze it they and then depending on the company some of them do give some money if the implant, when they uh, send it back, is uh, shown to be um, have been faulty, uh, they will give you some money towards the hospital costs. But it's not quite as um, sort of comprehensive as it might sound if you say, oh, my implant's got a lifetime warranty, meaning any time in my life, if I need my implants changed, I'm going to have them changed free of charge. That's not the case. So you have to be a bit careful in terms of what is covered in that warranty. And um, uh, so that is actually a good not the others haven't been but that is a good question uh and that leads me on to this question which i think because it's double question mark at the end i think it might be the same person um do i have to change the implant after some period of time simple answer i guess that is no you don't have to change your implants after any period of time um a lot of people say they've got to be changed every 10 years they haven't got to be changed every 10 years you haven't got to change your implants at all ever if you haven't got any problems with them you don't have to change them leave them don't worry about it. Some people will routinely scan their patients for 10 years. I don't, uh, but I do offer follow-up. I offer follow-up to all my patients every year. If they don't want to come or if they're busy or whatever, that's fine. Um, you can always um, just come whenever. So there's always sort of an open appointment for patients. So um, the reason you might want to have implants changed, you would only really change the implant if there's a problem with them. And the problem would be, as I say, the most common is probably capsular contracture, rupture, um, ALCL, very rare cancer associated with implants. Um, so those are the source. And all of those things are basically problems. So they're usually essentially lumps, swellings, changing in shape of your breast. So if you haven't got a lump, a swelling, a change in shape of your breast, then you, you know, or it hasn't got hard, then you haven't got a problematic capsule, you haven't got a problematic rupture, and you haven't got a um, ALCL because they, those things all present as lumps or swellings with your breast. So most reasons for changing your breast are, are um, initiated by the patient. So if you don't feel there's any problems, you don't need to have your implants changed, basically. So you, you can keep them, as I say, they've all got a lifetime warranty. They're, they're, they're built to last forever. The most common problem is, is probably capsular contracture, which is the scar tissue forming around it. And that scar tissue, that's a problem, not the implant. It's the scar tissue that forms around the implant. So um, the implant's fine, often. Um, so yeah, you don't have to have them changed, but if you get a lump, a swelling, um, uh, pain, or you know 
anything like that, then hardening, then come and see us and we can talk to you about it. But but don't worry, you we don't we're not going to force you to have them changed. Um, can you remove my breast and do breast augmentation? Now this is the question here. That was what I was trying to copy and paste at the beginning. Um, so I'm interested in breast augmentation, and also I want to ask you if it is possible to remove my breast first and then do the breast augmentation. I want this option because my mum had breast cancer and her mum has breast cancer and because I have very small breasts. And at the same time, I'm scared of family history of breast cancer. I'd like to remove my breast first and then do the breast augmentation. So basically, I, I completely understand what, uh, what is being suggested here, but basically what that... So the short answer is no, I wouldn't do that because what that... You're, you're suggesting there is to do a mastectomy, so to remove the breast and then do a breast reconstruction with an implant. So a breast reconstruction with an implant is completely different to a breast augmentation. No matter how small your breast is, um, having a cosmetic augmentation with a small breast will look completely different to a breast uh, reconstruction. So um, I wouldn't do a mastectomy anyway. A breast surgeon would do that. And it if you were going to have what's called a prophylactic or a risk-reducing mastectomy, which means uh, removing a healthy breast with no evidence of any disease in it, we're just doing it because we think you've got a high risk of cancer, that would have to be done through an MDT, a multidisciplinary team. So you'd have to be have a geneticist, you'd have to have a counsellor, you'd have to have people who would be advising you what your risk of breast cancer is, so you can make a decision as to whether you're going to take that, you know, take the risk of having a mastectomy over the risk of breast cancer, you know, way up that risk. So it wouldn't be just like, oh, my mum and my, my mother and my mother's mother have had breast cancer. I want to have a, uh, a mastectomy because I'm worried about cancer. You would need to be properly counselled about the consequences of having a mastectomy versus the consequences of leaving your breast and, and the risk of leaving your breast. So that would have to be done with a, uh, a multidisciplinary team, number one. And number two, you would, from a cosmetic point of view, from the way it looks, they are there is quite a big difference when you just put an implant, when you take away a breast and put an implant in, because you've got an implant and then skin, basically. So when you do a mastectomy and do a breast reconstruction with an implant, you've got an implant on skin. So it is the shape, it doesn't move, the feel, the whole thing is completely different to a natural breast. And it's a different ballpark from having leaving the breast there no matter how small it is and then putting an implant underneath the breast so you've got your breast sort of padding if you like or your breast on top of that implant so it's a completely different thing to have a breast augmentation which i would do so i'd leave your breast where it is and put an implant behind it versus taking that breast away because you're worried about cancer and then putting an implant in because that is then a mastectomy and a reconstruction which is a which is a different thing so um, I completely understand where you're coming from, but it wouldn't be a simply a case of the surgeon saying, oh, right, you've got a small breast and you've got a family history of breast cancer. Yeah, why don't I just remove that breast and then I'll put the implant in and you'll have a similar result. It's a completely different thing and you need to go through a completely different pathway, which probably would be best or, or organised by, by your GP. You could go down a private route for it, but uh, you know um, that could be something you could discuss with your GP to see whether they would refer you to the breast clinic for, for consideration of that so they could ascertain your risk uh, with geneticists and counsellors and breast surgeons, etc. So, um, So the short answer to the question is, 
No, I wouldn't remove your breast and do a breast augmentation. The long answer is what I said a minute ago. Um, what's going on here, Charlotte? Hey, nice to see you again. Caught you whilst in McDonald's car park. Caught me in McDonald's park car park. What are you? What are you? What? Where was that, Charlotte? Was that up a canic? Was that in my bike gear? God, McDonald's car park. Right. Okay. Did I say hello? That's embarrassing, live on TV. Charlotte, that would be my son who's forced me to do that. That would not be something I would electively do under my own steam, okay? Just clear, make that clear. I don't sanction McDonald's. Um, it is my child. Oh, you're in McDonald's car park. Oh. <laughs> Sorry, I thought you caught me in McDonald's. Oh, God. Right, I got it. Right. You're in McDonald's car park, right? I thought, good. Oh god, that was embarrassing. I've just admitted to being in McDonald's car park now. Um, right, let's do this. Right, calm, gloss over it, gloss over it. We'll delete that bit. Can you explain why most surgeons like to wait six months before operating? Is it a general aesthetic thing? No, it's not a general aesthetic thing, Charlotte. When you have a um big burn, or, or if you if you're very ill, um, so like um Sometimes with people with big burns, they will go to theatre every day, the dressing changes for cleaning things, uh, and have a general aesthetic every day. So it is. There's no sort of. It's not great. I'm not suggesting it's good to have a general aesthetic every day, but you know you can have a general aesthetic every day. So it's absolutely fine. So the six months things is for the tissues really. Well, for two things. First of all, the tissues. So particularly if you're having an operation in the same area, the tissues need to to to, to settle swelling, etc. But also for your body. Um, whatever operation it is, it's going to knock you back uh, and you don't want to keep on hitting it with another operation. As I say, you can have another operation, but if it's an elective operation, so presumably you're talking about an elective thing, which is a planned thing, which is not a, you know, an urgent thing. So if you have a breast augmentation, for instance, today and you develop appendicitis tomorrow, you will can go to theatre and have a general aesthetic and have your appendix removed tomorrow. No problem at all. They will remove your appendix. No problem at all. But you'll still be recovering from your breast augmentation. You'll be like, oh, my God, my breast, I've got my wound down here and, you know, infections, you've got two areas and stuff like that. So if it's, it has to be done, it will be done. But if it's elective, so if you have a breast augmentation today and you want to have a tummy tuck, well, you can have a tummy tuck any time. So you have to optimise when you do that tummy tuck. So, yes, I would wait four to six months, I would say, is, is would be a reasonable time to wait to let your body heal, to let you get mobile, to get everything moving, so you don't get DVTs by doing repeated operations, you know, clots in your legs. Um, and to get you back on your feet, get the wound completely healed, everything soft and settled, so that's all sorted. So you don't have to worry about that before having the second, uh, the second operation. So it's it's really for your body, for the way your body heals the swelling, um, and, and a, an operation does sort of knock you back. Right, checking out. Have a question not covered in today's show? Then send it over to info at styanoplasticsurgery.co.uk using the hashtag AskJJ. We'd love to hear from you.